Hello and welcome to The Time and Place, the gospel conversation show where we discuss faith on the fringes and try to apply God's word to God's world. My name is Julian. Uh, we're solo today again from the home studio, a.k.a. my bedroom. Uh, today we'll have a guest to discuss church planting part two. So let's bring him on. Uh, my personal elder pastor, <laughs> John Paul Dennison, the man who married me and my wife. How's it going, brother? Good. How are you, bro? Doing good. So we had Carl on, um, ah, it's been like a month already, uh, to talk about church planting. And his setup was a little different because he's not leaving the city. You guys are actually going out. Um, so we why don't you are. tell a little bit about uh, your background and what inspired you to want to plant somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah, as far as my background goes, I became a believer a little later in life. I was 21, wasn't raised in the church, and uh, was invited to church by a friend, actually a mutual friend of mine and Carl's, who you just mentioned, and um, heard the gospel really uh, for the first time with ears to hear it, eyes to see, um, when I was 21. That was like in 03, so uh, it's been almost years now, so half ago, but um you know, had the opportunity because it was a small church um, to be discipled by the pastor of that church, uh, Jim McCracken, who is Michael McCracken's father, uh, the lead pastor of our church. He, uh, he, uh, Jim, discipled me and because Carl had just gotten saved around the same time. And uh, for the first time, started understanding um, well, the world very differently, um, saw myself as a sinner. Um, and and really was brought to faith in uh, Christ and hope um, that was much different than the things I was setting my hope on before. So, you know, it's uh, God used that time to to basically um, really bring me to a place that uh, I really believe that that this was everything in life now, and felt a call to ministry probably five or six years into being saved. That's pretty quick. <laughs> That's not not actually very long. Usually, it's uh, uh, the way I don't know. The traditionally it was there's there's a lot of uh, uh were were you in college already? You were already because you you were out of college already, yeah. I was in college, in college uh, at yeah. the time. Uh -huh. uh, so, some computer science, but yeah, like I mean, I guess it is different if you don't grow up in the church and come into later in life. Um, Maybe, maybe something about that calling happening uh, sooner after after becoming a believer. Yeah, absolutely. At five years in, I certainly didn't feel fully equipped to do much of anything in ministry, but got many opportunities to, to do things that stretched me way beyond I felt like I was ready for. And looking back, I think it's a really, really good thing. So... With that in mind, um, I, I think you've said before you've been at AR AARC longer than anyone not named McCracken. <laughs> but <laughs> recently, within the past, what, two years or so, you've had this kind of pull to church plant and start a new congregation. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's probably, um, you know, the, the, the idea of church planting, when we rented um, in 2011, um, with Gold, Melanie, and Carl, and Ashley, some other other people, um, church planting was definitely 
a thing we got to experience. Uh, yeah, we did have a core and we did have some established ministry for sure, but a lot of things were very new and different. So, um, you know, the call to plant again or the desire to plant again really came out of a lot of different things. But one of them was going back to my hometown where I went to school. Uh, it was a super small town, 800 bull. And after, after, yeah, after getting saved, I graduated like 23. So that's actually kind of close to your, didn't you, you went to a small school, right? Yeah, Graduated. I think we might've been numbers might've been the same. You might've had more. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah, like, as far as the town goes, um, small, once I got saved, just knowing people there, I went back and preached at the Baptist church a few times over the years and I to see that, uh, church landscape. And they would just have a pastor in and out uh, every three to five years. Wow. Um, and it was one single pastor, didn't have elders. Um, and then what I knew about the other churches in the area, uh, just generally not, um, you know, just biblically driven. And um, even uh, of some of the peripheral that I saw going on with who were kind of taking spirituality into their own hand, doing their own thing, um, was very um, disordered. And so I had a burden for kind of uh, the idea of small churches, small towns without healthy churches. And that began to go over the years. So you've been out to Brownwood a couple of times now. Um, what's the church landscape out there? Is it like a single church town? Is there more than one? No, it's, it is bigger, uh, certainly okay. bigger than what I grew up in. Uh, it's about 20,000 um, okay. or so. So not big, but, but certainly has um, many churches. I, I think probably it could have up to 50 churches. I'm not oh, wow. 100% sure. But I mean, again, you're talking about, um, you know, probably a dozen of those at least are, um, you know, pretty traditional Baptist churches. You have some Pentecostal churches, some AE church, Assemblies of God churches, and hmm. some Roman Catholic churches and things like that. But um, there were, there are, um, there are none uh, that are, outwardly explicitly um, reformed Baptist, at least in the way that I think about it. Um, there are a few that have some general reform leanings, but again, not, not a lot. And so the, the, the theology um, that I've grown to, to believe over the years and, and that the other guys are uh, planting with us have believe and hold too deeply um, is not there. At least we haven't seen it there. So what's the demographic look like in that town? I know uh, Carl's moving basically to the middle of the city. So he's in, uh -huh. in the hot spot of like the young, diverse, I want to say woke crowd. Uh, mm -hmm. Has that stuff hit over there yet? Or is it still pretty like <laughs> what you'd expect? It's probably about 20 years away now. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> it is it is in a lot of ways very opposite of that. Um, mm. So it is Bible Belt. So everyone, like even as we've been looking at houses, um, everyone has all sorts of like um, uh, versions of spirituality on the walls. And um, I mean, 
I don't want to say everyone's a confessing Christian because that's certainly not true, but it is definitely a very traditional um, evangelical light Mm. Christianity mixed with a heavy leaning towards conservative politics. Okay. Um, And again, I I don't, I don't know the fullness of that landscape yet, but I've talked to some people I've, I've met with a couple people that are part of like, um, Baptist organizations. And I met with the Dean of the Christian college there, uh, met with another guy who was part of one of the, the networks, um, of that has like 50 or 60 Baptist churches. And it seems as though, um, his comment was that they, they have not had church plants in a long time. They've had mm. maybe one in the past five years and, um, that he's aware of that like made it and is, and is still alive. And, um, but it's very traditional. It's very traditional and conservative. It's mm-hmm. actually, and I'm not sure what this means uh, exactly, but they they claim to be like the first uh, um, constitutional city in the U.S., mm-hmm. which I don't know exactly what all that means, but I think it has something to do with the fact that if their interpretation of what's going on at a federal level or maybe even a state level, I'm not sure is unconstitutional that they're not buying it. Wow. <laughs> so I think that's good in some ways, but mm. also not good in some ways. Right. Um, and <laughs> looking at it, I almost, I almost feel like Carl got the easier assignment. Uh, <laughs> you know, where, where he's going, everybody is aware that they're not a Christian. Like they're just, mm-hmm. they're open about it, aware. And uh, there's no convincing them that, you know, uh, they've broken God's law or that he ha- his wrath is, you know, that's all they're like, yeah, proudly. <laughs> but where you're going, yeah. everybody is pretty tied into the fact that like, well, of course we're Christians. That's right. Yeah. It's going to be very different. Interest- yeah. It's it's going to be very different th- than that. But um, from what I've seen and heard in some of the sermons I've listened to in the church landscape, um, I do think there's another, um, a truer, uh, biblical message, uh, to be taught and preached and lived out, um, um, among those people. And I, I think that, that the gospel is going to do its work wherever, wherever mm-hmm. it goes for sure. But, um, but you're right. It's, it is, uh, that's going to be the challenge I, I believe as well. And from your own experience, uh, like you said, coming from a small town, not being saved until you were already in your twenties, um, mm-hmm. Did that change the way you looked at small town life? Like once you had that switch, once you had that flip to to actually have spiritual eyes, did you start to look at all the Christian things in small town and think maybe they're not as Christian as we thought they were? Yeah, for sure. Uh, It's interesting because I kind of was between the city and the small town because my dad, you know, was still in the city when my parents divorced. And so I was... I'd be in the city during the summers a lot of times and then go back to the small town. But mm. in the small town, I was the city boy. And in the, in the city here in San Antonio, <laughs> I was like the country kid. And so, uh, but to your question, I mean, uh, yes, definitely. There was a form of Christianity that obviously wasn't super appealing to me when I was in high school anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I just viewed Christians as, um, you know, like people that weren't having much fun or even sometimes people that weren't like the smartest people in the world. Mm. And, um, so definitely after being saved and, and, um, <laughs> reading some, 
some theologians like I've definitely changed my opinion on that. <laughs> but um, but I think there's a there really is there are some people I look back on that probably shared the gospel with me, planted some seeds uh, and that are super wise. And I've actually reached out to a few times mm. from my hometown that I know were were faithful believers in the area. And um, yeah, we're super wise. They weren't world wouldn't think a whole lot of them, but I, I certainly do. So. So you've been there a few times. You said you've heard a couple of sermons and, and kind of got a read on the town. Have you met with uh, other pastors that have already been in the area for a while? Not really. Uh, I did recently meet with one who who okay. now is uh, he, he's kind of uh, part of uh, the, you know, a Baptist organization there. And um, I'm, I'm hoping to meet one. One guy, Carl, knows. Um, uh, but yeah, that's something I, I definitely want to do. We've been, I've probably, I've been uh, recently in the last year or so, probably 10 or 12 times, um, okay. but usually for a couple days at a time. And so right. that's, that's kind of one thing I'll, I'll, I'll try to do um, is, is, uh, and I think through, um, through the college, that will be uh, more possible as well. Just, just meeting people in that world. Uh, but yeah, I definitely, I do. I, I want to build relationships um in that way and just kind of see where everyone is and how we can uh in some ways work together we're not we know that we're not going to be able to work with every church obviously or every type of church but to, to have some relationships with some of the guys who've been doing the work there for a long time would be helpful the college thing is interesting because that's that doug wilson has that same situation where they're kind of in a nowhere town but there's a, a big college there there by an even bigger one university of idaho um, okay. So they have that weird, it's a small town, but it is like as progressive as it gets. Um, what's the university like over there? So the university is, uh, it's a Baptist organization. It's part of the General Baptists of Texas. Uh, that's their mm. denominational tie. So not necessarily to the SBC, although I think they were SBC right. at one point. Okay. But um, but it was started in the, the late 1800s. And, um, you know, when you walk, it's a smaller college, like probably 2000 people, mm -hmm. but when you walk down like the, you know, the aisles and, or even outside the, all the banners, every banner has like a different scripture on it. So mm -hmm. the, there seems to be a heavier Christian, actual Christian influence of the college. I was actually, when I was there, I was waiting to, to meet with the Dean and, uh, one of the tours went by me and they were, um, talking about different things and, I think every student has to go to chapel once a week, which, you know, um, so they're, that's part of their curriculum. Mm -hmm. So they're a little more serious. They're an actual Christian college, I would say. Right. Um, but I, I, I don't know, uh, how theologically intensive they are. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think it's your, it's going to be a, like a master's seminary or, right, right, or right. something that's as theologically dense uh, necessarily. But um, yeah. I, uh, I went to, I know you did too, to uh, Dallas yeah. Baptist. Um, yeah. I was on campus for the, the short time that I was there and it was uh, kind of the same setup. We had, you know, mandatory chapel service. You'd have to scan your ID when you went to make sure you went so many times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> When you were a freshman, you had uh, mandatory community service and all that kind of stuff. And I I had a weird I, I don't want to say weird, but I mean, it was just a town too. I really didn't like Dallas as a town. <laughs> but uh there's kind of a 
it, it was really the first time I really experienced like the um, American gospel, I guess, in a real full sense of like of just a veneer of christianity like oh well this person's a pastor's kid so make sure you don't mention that they're going here with us or that they're doing this or doing that because we don't want their dad to find out um stuff like that so it's i feel like uh christian colleges are maybe an unfocused missionary field Mm. i think everybody assumes that when you go to private christian university that you're just like well you're all in obviously and most of the time i don't think that's true (laughs) man yeah certainly i it seemed like there were about as many people in the classes that I took that were just kind of going to get a different type of education than mm. a ministry education. But yeah, I mean, one thing that I've, I've really come to have a conviction of is the idea of theological training through the local church. So like mm. church as seminary. And I know that's hard, like the, um, but, uh, but I think the church is the only organization that God uh intrinsically has promised to protect from Mm. theological drift because it has the i mean at least it's been given the proper ecclesiology um the the sacraments the um just the word and just by god's design um i think god designed the church to be the the thing that the gates of hell won't prevail against that uh Mm. that won't fall and so um, the schools, I mean, you know, Harvard, Yale, um, all the first American schools, all theologically drifted. And I think every every school has that uh, certain certainly uh, possibility, but most of them have that tendency. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how you stop it if that's not the the institution that God built. Um, I do think they can be helpful in training us, and they have. Uh, even maybe they're God ordained place in some sense, but but ultimately they're not. Um, uh, unless I mean, if you replace a board of elders with the board of education and <laughs> pastors with teachers, you right. know, like you never know where that that thing's going to go eventually. I remember on uh, campus we actually had uh, two different professors of philosophy that right. had two different um, viewpoints on philosophy. I guess one. Uh, whose class I took was Professor Noggle, and he was of the uh, presuppositional persuasion. Like uh-huh. every every philosophy you have, you have to filter it through the Bible. That's the worldview. That's how we look at everything. And there was yeah. another professor who I, I never got his name, but he believed that no, you have to take it uh, based on what they believed and what they were saying. That's the only way to properly understand and apply it. So you have to kind of mm-hmm. enter it neutrally. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting that both of those um, perspectives were both considered equally valid at a private Christian university. Mm. I just didn't understand that at all. And it was actually in my uh, American literature class was the first place that I ever heard kind of woke race-based uh, philosophy really? ever. Yeah. It was wow. at a Christian <laughs> campus. So, yeah. That's sad. Yeah. It was really, it was uh, it was mind blowing to, to hear them talking about it, but yeah. So, I mean, going, why, why that town specifically? Because it is kind of a like I, I put in the title. Most people probably don't know. Most people in Texas probably don't know where Brownwood, Texas is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of through circumstance, um, I you know we've been praying about about it for for years, and um, I actually went to a high school reunion at the other town I was telling you about, the town I went to high school in, um, obviously, but. Uh, but one of my classmates who was a really good friend of mine in high school 
uh, who's been a believer longer than than me, um, was uh, he was moving to the area with his wife. Uh, he's a he was a pilot in the Marines, and then now he's a pilot for American Airlines. But um, you know, we were we talked for a few hours that day about about just what I was expressing to you earlier about how our town, um, the the theological landscape and these small towns in, in the area, these places that we went and played sports at, um, we knew about because we drew, drove through them all the time. Um, you know, uh, he asked me the question um, after we'd had that conversation, he texted me like a couple weeks later and was like, have you ever considered planting in Brownwood? We've been, you know, we've been researching the area um, we, uh, there's not, there's no churches we'd feel comfortable with going to. And over the, the years, uh, over the last few years at the church we've been at in Weatherford, uh, which is like Fort Worth area, um, we have seen church planting play itself out several times and have a passion for that. And, um, and that was for me, something that, that I started praying about my wife and I started praying about and um things began to um fall into place a little more than we would have um naturally expected um it's certainly not a town that you look at and you want to move to um i don't i would rather i mean if it was just the quality of life in the city i would rather be here i love san antonio i've been here a lot of my life and um but i don't mind living in a small town either i've had that experience and you still eat food and have relationships and <laughs> there's, you breathe the same air. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's different. It, it's a different world. And so we, um, we definitely know it's, it's going to be a change in life for our children. And, mm. um, you know, so, but the way God worked these things is so is similar in the, how other things in our life have fallen into place and worked out whenever God seems to be moving us in a particular direction. So, um, and especially with, with our church here, I mean, again, yeah, we've been here. Um, I talk about how this is the only church I've ever been a member of and being a pastor here now for 10 years, um, or 11, 12, uh, it's, it's, it's hard, um, for sure. And, um, I don't know that the full weight of it's sunk in, um, but it's, it is more and more. So, but we're we're certainly excited. It's bittersweet all, all the way around. Now, on the subject of just church planting in general, um, it's not something that I've seen play out a whole lot. I remember growing up in a Southern Baptist church, there was a lot of missionaries. I think we had uh, three or four just from our congregation that were in foreign countries. But I never saw a lot of uh, local or even like state church planting. And uh, the area you're going to specifically, it, it's kind of interesting that there's not more because it's right by, not right by, but in the general vicinity of like the village, which is a, a huge congregation, right? With so, I mean, so big, they have multiple, oh, uh -huh. uh, multiple meetings and, and satellite campuses and all that. Yeah. You would think something like that is just ripe with like, you go start one, you go start one, you go start one. Why do you right. think church planting isn't a big thing in the modern church? Um, yeah, I don't know statistically what those numbers are exactly, but I think it's, it's, uh, you know, if you see some of the statistics, it's scary. I mean, it's, I mean, most of most church plants fail. So we're fully aware of that possibility and reality. Um, 
I think the the nature of a church sending out uh, is is just difficult dynamically because a, a sending church has to. Um, most sending church churches are going to lose members. They're going to give money to support the planters, like is the case in our case and in Carl's mm-hmm. case. Um, so two at once, that's even tougher in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, and, um, just the idea of, um, yeah, from the, from the, the, the sending church's perspective, it's, um, it's difficult, but it's exciting. I mean, I, you know, um, it's like, I think bro, we're in the same, you know, missional community, small group. Right. And, um, we have over the years talked about, um, you know, multiplying at times and at times have been in, in spots where we could do that, but, but people get hesitant when that happens and change is hard. And so, especially like with what Carl's doing, um, even probably more than what we're doing, you know, Carl and, and, you know, families that, that are going, um, you know, that's, it's tough and it's tough to go from an established church where everything's kind of in place and you've got, you know what you can expect um, on a Sunday or throughout the week. Um, right. Things have, processes have been developed and people are responsible for those processes. And you're going into something where there's a lot of people that have to be um, biblically entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got, there aren't as many um, established ways, rules, liturgies, mm-hmm. uh, traditions, all of that stuff. And so that stuff's kind of, um, being being formed which is exciting but also um you know you don't have it so there's there's not a lot to fall back on Hmm. that's that's an interesting thing to to point out that there's not i guess in the old days when i'm thinking of of missionaries or church plants or whatever if they were presbyterian like you knew what that meant or if they were baptist you knew what that meant right now it's really not if you walk into a church you don't really know what to expect Mm -hmm. yeah and bro that speaks to like you know, the, the Southern Baptist convention or some of the, some of the big organizations, which are great in a lot of ways. Um, but their process, uh, you know, and they, they've had some theological, I mean, like those things are going to happen even more than, uh, or not maybe more, but like, as it happens in schools, even in a, a church, uh, in a parachurch organization or a, or a denomination, um, obviously that can happen as well. But like for the SC, with like the pattern of going to school and then taking one of those pastors and then just being called by a church, like being hired by a church mm-hmm. to come in and fill a spot and do what that that you know uh, search team asks you to do, uh, is just very different in my mind than what church uh, planting mm-hmm. in the sending church type of way, multiplication of churches type of way uh, does and. Um, and so, uh, there is both, um, a level of autonomy that the new church is going to have, but obviously they're getting so much of their theological convictions, uh, from what's been developed in them from the sending church over the years, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so they're not completely, you know, autonomous, um, in a, in a, from a theological standpoint, but, um, but maybe in their governance, they might be. But uh, when I think of, you know, us being sent out by ARCC, like, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it is different than, than what you see in, 
most churches that start restart. Um, and I, I really think uh, the church sending um, people from, from itself has to be the most biblical, biblically consistent pattern we see. I think you see that from Jerusalem to Antioch and then even beyond. That's when, when I think about that, I, I think it's hard to, I mean, personally, I don't know what the call to be a pastor feels like. I'm not, you know, I'm not, but I, I, I got to imagine there's a lot of people who maybe have the inclination or ignore the call. Maybe they just don't mm-hmm. want to, don't want to move, don't want to be in charge of a congregation, don't want to deal with the headaches, don't want to start. I mean, is there, is there a, I mean, I, I, with you guys, I think you just kind of got thrown into it, right? There wasn't really a lot of option. How do you kind of, um, I don't want to say weed out, but kind of, how do you find that in your congregation? How do you find like, oh, well, this person clearly has a gift of leadership. This person clearly has a, a pastoral calling. Like, where do, where do you look for that? How do you find that? Yeah, I think um, I think the first place you just start with all the explicit biblical commands were given. So like, let's take elders, which I believe is synonymous with pastors and overseers in scripture. Those three words. Um, uh it's, it's, I mean, Timothy and Titus give like very clear, um, they have to desire it. Like you said, they do have to desire that. Um, but, um, but then beyond that, they have to be able to teach. They have to, and then they have these characters and qualities of their life that have been proven over time says, don't lay hands quickly on them. Um, but, but generally speaking, I think the safest way or the most biblical way to do it is to go, who are the men in our congregation that, meet these qualifications and that desire this, that can teach. Um, and there's always going to be a, there's always going to be that little threshold to where, um, you know, so much of what happens in scripture is God calls us beyond what we're presently equipped for. Um, there's an equipping process, but mm-hmm. he's going to call us to step out in faith in different ways that we don't feel ready for. And so there's going to be that in everyone. Um, to some degree. And so until you, you know, fully are, are, um, you know, officially shepherding um, with after hands have been laid on you, um, it's going to, it's going to be a little different than kind of the unofficial type of shepherding that you do naturally leading up to that Mm. um, because of the way you're viewed because of the officialization. And I think there's a good and right reason why scripture makes that official distinction. It's the church is, is going, um, yes, we see this in this person. This is formal. This is, um, this, uh, this, um, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's, you know, and same for deacons, although with some different qualifications, uh, yes, people, you know, casually, serve from time to time, but to be like a deacon of the church of, um, with hands laid upon you is, um, to be a servant of that church officially, formally in that formal capacity is, um, for your life to match these qualities for it to be Mm -hmm. proven. And then for the church to say, you are now, you are a servant of the church, uh, and maybe in this particular area. Mm Have you guys talked about, um, I know it's still kind of losing the planning, but kind of a liturgy or what you think it, it might look like going in? Yeah, uh, we, we have, we were, we actually met, uh, two of us met this morning and 
we're talking about some of that. Um, uh, not outrageously different from what we're doing now, um, but there will be uh, singing for sure, uh, preaching for sure. And we are, um, we're thinking of doing communion every week. Mm-hmm. Um, although also maybe in a setting that's more, um, you know, meal driven. Okay. Um, but, uh, but we were, we were talking, uh, this morning and we have talked for a few weeks about the possibility of doing communion at different parts of the service. Maybe it's sometimes mm. at the beginning of the service with a, a small, uh, teaching from one of our pastors uh, on it, or if the text that's being preached that week is more driven towards, um, towards, you know, remembrance of the death of Christ, then, uh, then putting it at the end of the service, things like that. Um, but, uh, but, um, and then just in terms of the, the, the teaching rotation, um, you know, I'm going to be prepped, um, to teach as many weeks as I need to. Um, but also one of our other pastors is, um, planning on teaching once a month, Mm -hmm. um, to start. And, um, and our hope is that, uh, all of our pastors will be teaching, from uh, from the pulpit um, moving forward and and uh, again um, just as a as that picture of plurality and again people our congregation doesn't necessarily need to hear from me every week um, and and we believe that people can teach um, who aren't elders um, we think we see that and you know even Stephen preaches he's a deacon clearly in Jerusalem and he speaks um, and so we believe there's room for people who aren't uh, ordained hands laid upon elders, uh, to teach as well. But you do, you do want to know, um, that, that what they're teaching is sound. So mm. now Carl was, uh, talking about the, the obstacle of finding a building. Um, yeah. again, I know it's a little different cause he's moving into a population dense area. They're really not going to build or anything there. It's kind of, what do we have to work with? Um, mm-hmm. what has y'all search for a building look like over there? How are people, one, how are people receptive to a new church coming in? And two, how are they uh-huh. receptive to letting you use their stuff while you're there? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there are, since most of the churches have been there for a long time, uh, almost every church that we're aware of has a building. Mm-hmm. There are a few meeting in temporary locations, but most of them just have buildings. So um, we have looked at a few hotels, a few um, schools, the university, um, and there's a, a phys- an old Episcopal church that we looked at. It's probably going to be a little out of our price range to start. Um, but as of right now, there's a stage theater that has called, called us back. We actually have a meeting with them next week. We've uh, talked and asked questions and they've asked questions of us. Um, we're hope we're praying that that works. It's a great setup. It has the space we need to do the things we would do. Um, and, um, just, just would be, and, and like when you say equipment and stuff, um, we're thinking, and they've actually offered if it works out, um, for us to use some of their equipment or maybe all mm-hmm. of it that's already there. So that would be incredible, uh, having set up every Sunday morning right. for yeah. a long, long time. <laughs> right. So, but generally, man, it's, it's a weird deal looking for a place to meet, um, even here, you know, we moved 10 years mm-hmm. or 10 times in the first like six or seven years at ARCC, which is nuts. Um, 
and it's it's hard to throw money at people. <laughs> you would think people would want, you know, uh, a few hundred dollars a week or a few thousand dollars a week for you to meet for four or five hours on a Sunday. But um, but I understand, like, uh, you know, there's liability and there's they have their setup the way they like it and they want to know that that's not going to be interfered with. So that's one of the things we try to, um, you know, uh, help them understand is that yeah we don't we don't want to make this a mess we don't want to come in and uh you know change a whole lot of stuff but but we're willing to to spend money we're gonna have to um to to meet so so we're hoping that works out we're hoping we will know in the next few weeks because that'll really allow us to um to start planning some things that we haven't been able to yet now I know you've been there a few times for a couple of days and usually, you know, you're taking care of business and stuff while you're over there trying to get everything going. Um, have you got to interact with the people a lot at all in the town or, or even a few? And what are they? I know we joke that they're like 20 years behind, but uh, what are they like? Are they plugged into what's going on now? Or are they kind of in their own bubble? Um, man, it is. Um, it's a type of country. Like when I say um, country, it's it's the country. There's a few types of country. There's like a rodeo country. There's like farming country. Right. And then there's like, this is a different type from both of that. They certainly have that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's agriculturalism and, you know, they, they rodeo. Um, but it's more of like a, um, uh, I, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it's just like a, um, it, it's just like a being okay with things kind of, just not being very nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are parts of the city that are very poor, but man, like, you know, things just, it's not beautiful. Um, it, mm. If anything, it has its own beauty. It has to be like a New Mexico <laughs> beauty or something like that, but not even that. But it's, um, you know, people are generally just um, okay with the way their life is there's Hmm. um there's not a lot of ambition um outside of a few little pockets and so i think that's one of the things that as much as just going back or going to a different place a new place that's one of the things that um that scares me a little bit is that um is that you know it's hard to get volunteers at a church in the seventh biggest city in the U S where everybody's got their own thing that they're excited about moving forward on. And so I, I hope the apathy of, of life that seems to be reflected just externally and like with literally the way people wrote, I, I ordered um, like we ordered fried chicken, one from like golden chick or one of those restaurants, you know, Mm-hmm. Bro, I sat there after I ordered for at least an hour, and just—I mean, they—I mean, they were high school kids, but they were just no rush not, at all, no rush, <laughs> no apology. And so I'm like, okay, I've got to learn a new level of patience. Uh, kind of, so that's great. I can't picture that. That that's so foreign to any kind of bro, concept. Yeah, anything we do here. Yeah. So not a lot of Postmates or <laughs> Uber Eats or nobody's getting you quick over there. I'm I'm hoping Amazon gets things in a few days. <laughs> Man, that's nuts. So I mean, how are they? How are they receptive to you guys coming in? Did you talk to anybody about um, when you're looking at houses or anything? What you're planning and how do they kind of feel mm-hmm. about that? Yeah, we definitely did. Almost everybody that we've met with, whether it be like 
um, yeah, the realtors or, you know, people that were looking at, um, uh, you know, um, just looking at spaces and all that, obviously we're telling them that, but, um, I think there's, there's somewhat of an excitement, um, for, for new, I think people are excited. It is a growing town. So like there's a brand new, um, Chick-fil-A that, uh, there's a brand new or pretty new Starbucks. There's, um, there are new retail establishments that big cities have, or at least medium sized cities have (laughs) that, um, that are moving in. And I think people like that. I mean, there's a level of probably just general consumerism that people Mm. appreciate about that. And so I, in the same way, I think they can get excited about the idea of a new church. Mm. Um, but without knowing a lot of, uh, what type of church we are, you know, um, our hope is to do some form of advertising with some keywords that would attract some, some people that already have share some of the same theological convictions that we do, uh, for a core team. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, put something out that says, you know, uh, reformed Baptist, if you're Mm. interested in being part of a reformed Baptist (laughs) church plant or, um, and I don't even think I've actually used that phrase to a few people. I don't, that that's not what they describe as is even different. So (laughs) than than what we will, what will be. So, Mm. um, so it's going to be a challenge, I think, but again, God, you know, has ways of just, um, of just providing what we need when we need it. So trusting Mm. that. Yeah, it's going to be a, a switch, and I I can tell that already. And they don't have a target, yeah. so I don't know how you're going to function as a middle class American. <laughs> no I know, target. right? I know, as a soccer mom. <laughs> you know what's interesting, and uh, it, it kind of blows my mind. We went to Waco uh, last this past week. We were in Waco, and uh, right. I stopped by the Branch Davidian compound because I just I had to okay. see it. Right, so. We drove like out a museum there at this point. Or? Yes, but here's what's weird about it. It's it has an active congregation still meeting there. Oh, so they built and- a new chapel over the ruins of the compound. And uh, from what I can tell, they're still branch Davidians. Wow. So they cool. still hold. to Yeah. Whatever he was preaching or teaching, they still hold to that. That kind of idea. There's a little uh, like visitor center when you get there and nobody was there because it wasn't a Saturday. But um when you get there, it says that a donation will get you a DVD that can give you new insights, uh, both political and spiritually, into the the incident that happened. Interesting. Yeah. So they're still building off of that, and they're wow. kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's it's you got to go a ways out of Waco, which Waco's okay. already nowhere, but you got to go past that to get to that little spot. Um, but I thought it was interesting that there's still those little pockets of of cult activity all over and i know in san antonio it's everywhere which it still blows my mind that there's so many churches and also so many mormon wards or uh jehovah's Mm -hmm. witness meeting houses and sometimes on the same street which i don't know how that happens but it does uh is there any of that where you're going have you run into any mormon congregations or jehovah's witnesses or anything at all right you know i'm not sure if there is a mormon congress that's one thing i haven't seen one in in all the in the churches we've researched but yeah, they, they might have a tough time in that city, but uh, there definitely are Pentecostal churches and okay. Assemblies of God churches. So mm. that that was a higher number than I certainly expected. So mm. I think there will be some some of those leanings 
for sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely Protestant driven okay. overall for sure. Not a lot of, is there, was there, a, um, I don't know what you call them, the local Catholic stuff over there. Was there a diocese, I guess, do they fall under anybody? I don't think so. Well, actually the church we looked at, um, was Episcopal. So that was different. Okay. It was owned by the, uh, the Fort Worth diocese. Um, mm. but, um, I'm not sure. I mean, I know there's Catholic churches over there, but I'm not sure if there's how, how much of a hub hub they are for that. We're going to have to go out there and see it. Cause it just, I, yeah. I, I'm not able to put together in my head what this yeah. situation is like. I mean, even yeah. like in, at DBU, it was in between the Potter's house and, um, uh, the village, like those okay. giant mega churches. And then there was a bunch yeah. of smaller churches around. I've, I've never okay. seen a small town like that where it's just a few churches that all kind of lean one direction and everybody kind of thinks the same and feels the same and, and life is just a certain way in that town. That's so, so different. Yeah. I think it's, it's a uh, red. It's um, if, <laughs> if the Republican, <laughs> if the Republican party, if you're, if your denomination can, it can get behind the Republican party. It's there. I feel like, so. well, that's good. I mean, that's going to be a challenge. Really. Do you have to get past the, the generic Republican Christian, um, I don't know, ideas and just kind of mm -hmm. penetrate like, well, actually, no, that's not biblically accurate. That's not actually Christian to think that way or do that or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, it's hard to say that. It's hard to say, you know, like, yeah, I've never, like, how do I tell people, like, I've never voted for a Democrat my entire life. <laughs> um, but Republicanism is not the kingdom of God. So, right. Hopefully it's, it's had its impact on the kingdom. Um, but, uh, or the kingdom has had its impact on it rather, right. I mean to say, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a, a video today that I thought was interesting and interesting for the wrong reasons. Um, it, it was a, an Instagram reel where this girl was basically saying that nations can't be Christian or not Christian because nations are not people. So for the idea of um, it was basically that, like, you know, we don't need to be a Christian nation. We just need to be Christ faithful Christians in the nation. And this idea of like conquering the nation for Jesus is not a thing that we need to actually worry about. And I, you know, I don't know how you hold that idea when you read Psalm 2 and it's like, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. Mm. Like that's that's the language. And he's talking about giant mm. groups of people in different countries or, you know, and when you. Old Testament is nation, New Testament is Gentiles, that idea of like saving uh -huh. whole places and whole populations. Um, I don't know. I don't know where we picked that up along the way, but it's, it seemed very weird for somebody to just say that. Like, don't worry about converting whole nations. Just mm. be Christian where you are. And that's enough. Be mm. Yeah. And I mean, I think we've even talked about that a bit, but yeah, you're just the nuance of your eschatology is going to play into that. And even how you, how you speak about that, it's going to, going to drive uh, how you think about it. Right. Mm, like, right. Um, but you're right. Like, yeah, I mean, um, in one sense, nations are um, made from people um, and made up of people. And, um, and that language in scripture, there's that overlap of there's the idea of the, the, the institution of the, the thing, whether it's a nation um, uh, or a city or whatever, and then there's the people that make it up and come in and out of it. 
and then the rulers who are in in some authority of it and um so i think that's why um that's why eschatology is is in church history has been such a a difficult thing for Mm -hmm. for um orthodox christians to come to full agreement on so uh are you guys drafting a statement of faith as of now that you're just going to put out there so everybody kind of knows up front what they're what they're getting into (laughs) yeah we we have um we have finished our bylaws and we've just submitted those um which include our uh all our doctrinal statements as well as like our ecclesiology and even a few positional things that that we wanted to uh take a position on like um you know what we believe about marriage and gender and all that kind of stuff but um but uh doctrinally much of much of it is going to be carried over from um you know i did a lot of the the language um for arcc and so i asked our elders if i was able to carry most of that over and so i'm going to carry most of that over we made one or two little tiny tweaks that didn't really make much theological difference mm. especially on the on the on all the issues of orthodoxy it would right. be exactly the same and even in our distinctives um we are we're mostly uh we're pretty much in in the same spot as arcc and so um you know between the three of us who who will be the elders myself and two and the two other guys who we plan to ordain um you know theologically we're very very close and then there there were two major issues um or not major minor issues but two issues that there was any gap um between and uh things like you know women deacons uh mm-hmm. things like continuationism cessationism like right. we took a long time to write like statement after statement to like okay do we all agree with this do we all agree with this <laughs> and um and i do think coming back to eschatology i do think uh that we have one in each of the major millennial <laughs> <laughs> camps but in it, all three with covenant understandings right um, but uh but yeah so That'll be fun when it when it's a thing. But <laughs> yeah, when you get to um, Matthew twenty four <laughs> Revelation on Sundays, yeah, I know, I know. You have to alternate so, uh, who, what year, who gets to teach their eschatology. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so cool. Well, um, for anybody who either may be in the area, moving to the area, or, or just interested in what you're doing, uh, do you guys have a website? Do you have anywhere we can get info and all that? We do. Yeah, uh, the name of the church is Brownwood Church. We, I don't know how we got that name, but it was available um, <laughs> and uh, pretty, pretty generic, but um, brownwood.church is the website. We have kind of a shell site up right now. We'll add more content to it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then anytime anyone's in the area, we're hoping to launch in August, August 7th. We're hoping to be our launch Sunday. We're trying to work that, solidify that date. But yeah, if you're in the Brownwood area and want to, want to stop by on a Sunday morning or, or any other time, um, uh and and meet with we would we would love to have you so cool and what's the closest city you guys are big city you guys are are to in that area i think fort worth is two hours away um so it's it's fort worth it's right in the center of texas um so (laughs) fort worth is two hours uh 
you know, Abilene is mm -hmm. an hour, a little over an hour. And then San Antonio, we're three hours away here. So, okay, cool. Well, JP, thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to put bro. you down in the corner for a minute and then we'll uh, get it going. Cool. So church planning part two, uh, different and unique challenges coming from that. But it will be if you guys could all send your prayers with them, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, before we log off for today, I just wanted to talk about something that just happened within the past couple hours. Uh, the golden boy of free speech at the moment, Elon Musk, has officially bought Twitter. It is officially his. It is a private company again. It is no longer public. And everyone is thinking this is going to be the return of free speech to the platform. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that plays out. It's it's definitely interesting. Um, and funnily enough, it all started because of the Babylon Bee. That's kind of the that was the last straw for him when they uh, when they banned the Babylon Bee over their joke. He got in touch with them and asked them if that's actually what happened. When they said yes, he said he might have to buy the company to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. And now he has. So um, two thoughts on that. Um, I was listening to a, a video from uh, Pastor Toby Sumter out in Moscow, and he was talking about knowing the difference between allies and co-agitators as uh, members of the kingdom. And I think that's an important distinction that in modern uh, political thought and tribalism, we've kind of lost. Um, so going forward, we need to understand that all of these companies all of these entities all of these people or media personalities who are part of the free speech constitutional rights uh, america first whatever you want to call it populist movement they may be co-agitators but they are not allies um they're still part of another kingdom they're not submitted to christ uh they're not part of the elect uh as of now as far as <laughs> as far as was revealed now unless something changes uh you know as, as clever as ben shapiro is as smart as he is as uh logical and articulate as he is uh he still believes that jesus was just another political um criminal who died like a bunch of other jews who led revolts before and he doesn't believe there's anything special about him uh, as far as i know he doesn't believe there's anything actually supernatural in the bible he says it can all be explained um, by natural causes, which begs the question, then why do you keep kosher if you believe that it's all just natural? I don't understand why you would hold to a religion that you don't believe in. Um, but Elon Musk is the same way. As far as I know, he's uh, just another naturalistic materialist. He might have weird um, simulation theory ideas, which, you know, on the side, simulation theory is just creationism for atheists. So uh, remember that. But anyways, remember that they are co-agitators. They're, they're kicking at all the right people, but they're not allies. We're not part of the same kingdom. Uh, the flip side to that is that if free speech is coming back to the platform, now is the time to do whatever you want to do. Uh, there's never been a better time to get a message out, to utilize the tools that you have. Um, we had Darren Doan on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about how media companies, media conglomerates, uh, big media, movies, TV, all that, that's dead. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, podcast, that's the future. So if you can, and at this point, pretty much anybody can, this is like a $40 microphone, uh, get what you need, do what you can, and get the word out on the kingdom, spread the kingdom in every medium possible until they make it impossible to do so, and then do it anyway. So just our thoughts on uh, Elon buying Twitter. We'll see how that plays out. It's going to be super interesting in the coming weeks. People are freaking out. There might be changes to the platform. You might be in more characters. There might be more ways to get verified. It's going to be nuts. And the election is going to be super interesting with Twitter now open. I, I think uh, 
The reason we have the president we do right now is in large part due to Twitter and the kind of interference they were running. So we'll see how all that plays out. Until next time, uh, thank our guest, John Paul, for being on. Uh, if you guys know anybody who's uh, participating in a church plan or if you guys are curious about it, maybe shoot an email over here and get some advice, find out what's going on. Until next time, this has been The Time and The Place. We'll see you guys. Peace.